Today on Growing Through Grace. I've noticed over the years with all the places I've been allowed to teach that it doesn't matter if you speak the language with the people that you're visiting, you just know if they're brethren. You know, there is a, a, an awareness, I think, in the spiritual sense of, of being a family. Listening to Growing Through Grace with Pastor Jacob Elin of Morningstar Christian Chapel in Whittier, California. It's good to be with you as we get back to our studies in the book of Acts, and today Pastor Jack will take us to chapter 21, verses 1 through 17, as we join the Apostle Paul on his continued push to get to Jerusalem. Now, despite the many warnings not to go, Paul is determined to get to the city to preach to the Jews there. So let's join Pastor Jack for this study that's titled, Jerusalem or Bust. We're just going to look at the first 17 verses of chapter uh, 21. We're going, to, we're going to get Paul to Jerusalem where they re- receive him gladly, gladly in verse 17. That's going to change in verse 18 and beyond. But we thought it would be a good way to kind of get us started as Paul, we, we've entitled the message, Jerusalem or Bust, because that's really where Paul had wanted to get to. And finally, he's going to get to go there after having been on the road for, like I said, the better part of two decades. If you read through the scriptures, and I know that you do, uh, from Paul's earliest days of conversion, he had an unmistakable love for the Jews. You would understand that him being a Jew, but he wanted very much to minister to his own people. If he had had his druthers, that's where he'd have ended up. When he writes to the Romans in chapter 9, He says one of the most remarkable things you'll read in the Bible. He said, I would be willing to be accursed from Christ for the sake of my countrymen according to the flesh. Or, if you will, I would go to hell if they could go to heaven. Now, who are you going to save that for? Yeah, me either. (laughs) But that was Paul's heart. He, He said in chapter 10 to the Romans, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God is that Israel might be saved. That was really where he was coming from. When he got saved, God gave him very specific instructions that though he would minister to the Jews, his primary ministry was going to be to the Gentiles, not a people he would pick, not ones that maybe he felt as ready to go and stand before. And that's really where the Lord sent him. If you look at Paul's life, at least the way it's laid out in the scriptures, when he was saved in the Damascus area, he tried to preach, didn't do very well. No one listened to him. They were leery of them. The Christians were afraid. The Jews saw him as a traitor. And so he didn't get very far. He did go out to Arabia, to the desert. is isn't that far away. In fact, you can find uh, Tarsus on your map there. It is in Cilicia. But needless to say, for the next three years, Paul, after his salvation, pretty much disappears from the scene. He describes that time in the desert as a time of, of intimacy with God, where he began to be taught firsthand from the Lord the scriptures. And, and, and he learned. When he returned after three years to Damascus, he tried again to go to the synagogue. But that didn't go very well either, because that's not really the place God wanted him to be. So he, he quickly uncovers a plot to kill him. Imagine that as a response to your three years of preparation. They let him down a, a, 
a fence in a bucket, basically. He barely escapes for his life. He heads for Jerusalem, where he figures his great ministry will be. A couple of the disciples met with him, or the apostles, only because Barnabas kind of interceded. He was there for 14 days, not very long, two weeks. And he had caused so much trouble that the church said to Paul, please go away. You're causing all kinds of grief for us. And they actually were willing to walk him down to the docks and put him on a boat and send him home, which is exactly what they did. And, and for the next dozen years, 10 to 12 years anyway, Paul goes to Tarsus and just goes off the map historically. Now, there's some inklings as to where he might have been, but we're guessing more than knowing. And so, you know, there's, there's no sense in doing that. We have enough information to go with. But needless to say, for a, a 10 to 12 years, Paul's out of sight. When the revival starts in Antioch in Syria, 300 miles to the north of Jerusalem, Barnabas is sent because he's such an encouraging guy, and everywhere he goes, people are encouraged. The church grows, God blesses, people get saved, but, but Barnabas does not feel himself to be a pastor over the flock in that re regard. But he knows Paul's in the area. So he travels up to Tarsus looking for Paul in the hopes that he might talk him into coming back and pastoring the, the people, teaching them the Bible in a way that he knew Paul could. And Paul came with him. They spent a year in this Gentile, mostly Gentile, Hellenistic Jewish church. And, and Paul saw the fruit of, of his ministry and, and, and life was, was, was great, if you will, in terms of church. There was a great ministry that went on. And Paul spent some time there. And then for the next 15 years, he goes out from there on these long trips, supported by the church, accountable to them, bringing reports back, uh, gathering people from the church, actually, and, and helping from time to time. And now he is about finished. This is his third time out. He really wants to get to Jerusalem by the time Pentecost comes along. He thinks that would be a great time to be there. He really anticipates, you know, I've put in my time with the, with the Gentiles. I'm sure if you just give me a chance, man, this is going to be great. It's going to be revival time like nobody's business in Jerusalem. And so his heart is on fire. He, he wants to make peace. He realizes there's a great distinction between the Jewish saints, believers in Jerusalem, and the Gentile believers everywhere else. The Jews are very antagonistic against the Gentiles. They don't, this span of grace is something that they would have to cross over time, and it took a while. But Paul thought he could bridge the gap. So he brings a lot of money from a lot of different churches and a lot of guys from a lot of different churches with him to deliver this huge bailout, if you will, to the poor church in Jerusalem, which is struggling, in the hopes that, that he would say, so you see what the brethren, the Gentile brethren think of you and pray for you, and, and they put their money where their mouth is. And so he, 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 he comes with, you know, loaded with gifts, if you will, with great anticipation. When he writes to the Romans, he, he said to them in chapter 15, towards the end of the book, I, I pray that, that, that I might come and see you and that the Lord might deliver me from those that are in Judea who don't believe, and that my service to those in Jerusalem will be acceptable to the saints. Pray that this works. That's really what he said. And when this gets done, then I can come and visit with you. And so that's Paul's mind, if you will, as he is being driven here in chapter 20 and 21 now towards Jerusalem. Every place he stops, however, on this hundreds and hundreds of miles tour, People are telling him not to go. When he spoke to the Ephesian elder back in chapter 20, verse 22, he said that every time he stops, the Holy Spirit in every city is testifying to him about the, the chains and the tribulations that are waiting for him in Jerusalem. 
And none of these things, he says, do I count myself dear, or I, I, they don't move me, I don't count my life dear to me. I want to f- finish the race with joy, the ministry which Jesus has given to me to testify of the gospel of the grace of God. To Paul, there was still that portion of his work to the Jews that he felt he needed to accomplish. So that's where we stopped last week. We will start in verse 1 tonight with Paul on that route, ready to go home, and, and, and with great expectation, ready to leave now Miletus, if you have a map, and head along the coast of Asia before he catches a boat home. Verse 1. Now it came to pass that when he had departed from them, them being those in Ephesus that were meeting with him on the coast, and he set sail, they ran a straight course, and we came to Cos. The next day we came to Rose, and from there we went to Patera. And finding a ship that was uh, sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and we set sail. And when we had sighted Cyprus, which, we passed on, uh, which passed us on the left, we sailed to Syria, landing in Tyre, for that was where the ship was to unload her cargo. So we read, and when we departed from them, sweet sorrow. <laughs> they had to pry themselves away. And, and Dr. Luke, who writes this and with, is with Paul at this time, you read the words we, um, gives to us a very quick kind of description of one-day trips. They went from Miletus to Cos. It's a 40-mile sail. They went from Cos to Rhodes, about 85 miles or so. They went from Rhodes to Patera, 70 more miles, where Paul found a worthy ship that was able to take his whole crew on board board for what would be a little over 400 miles of sailing to go to Syria and to go to Tyre. And again, you can look at the maps. We're told here in the account they got on a cargo ship which wanted to stop and unload in places and reload in others. They, They were able to get passage uh, their trip would have taken about a week or so if they, once they got into the water. They sailed, as doctor tells us, you know, with, with uh, Cyprus on their left before they finally got to Tyre. When they sailed past Cyprus, I think Paul would have had some interesting memories. If you have been with us all along on Paul's very first missionary journey, the first place he went was Cyprus. He landed on the uh, the side where there is Salamis, he, he traveled the entire length of the island, went all the way to Paphos. It was he and Barnabas and John Mark who uh, had gone along with them. They found their first converts at their last stop in Paphos. It was the, the governor of the, of the country. His name was Sergius Paulus. He was being served by a demon-possessed man whose name was Elimus. He wanted to keep the gospel from his boss. The Lord uh, moved on Paul to pray that the Lord would strike this this, this bad man blind, and he did. That was enough to convince the governor that Paul wasn't you know, beating around the bush. He heard the gospel, he got saved. And that was 15 years earlier. And boy, where Paul had been since then. So we have no comment at all about the four or five days of traveling, the hopping, and the, another week of, of sailing. We, we just assume there, was, you know, there wasn't any problem. They just kind of made the trip uneventfully and finally landed their entire in Syria on the coast before they would eventually head down to Caesarea and then inland to Jerusalem. We read in verse 4, And finding disciples, we stayed there entire for a week, seven days, and they told Paul through the Spirit that, they, that he should not go up to Jerusalem. Now, 
when these boys land, notice they went looking for fellowship. Anyrosko is a, a word that means to, to locate with effort, or you had to hunt them down. Whatever this church was in this town, it wasn't so easy to find or so well known. Maybe it was small. We don't know, but they, they went looking for fellowship because, you know, that's what they longed for is to hang out with God's people, and so should we. I, I've noticed over the years with all the places I've been allowed to teach that it doesn't matter if you speak the language with the people that you're visiting, you just know if they're brethren. You know, there is a, a, an awareness, I think, in the spiritual sense of, of being a family. And whether that was, you know, we were in Japan a few years ago at a pastor's conference. At least our translators for Gerard and I were very exacting. They, they didn't want to just translate the words. They wanted to, to translate the emotion behind the words or the, or the, you know, the feeling. And so I'd literally say 10 words and he'd go on for two minutes. I'd go, dude, seriously, we are going to be here like all. It's the worst way in the world to teach, by the way. If it, it takes away your, your personality, your, your, your tempo, your, your eye contact. You're not really that funny on translation. You know, it's just horrible. But it does convince you that God's work just works everywhere. So it doesn't matter what the language barrier is. It has to do with fellowship. And certainly, I love that, that Paul and these guys, you know, they are leaders in churches. They've, they're experienced. They've been at it for, for years. And yet here they are just looking for a, a place where they can hang out with the saints. And they ended up staying there for a week because that's how long the, the ship was going to be in port. And again, the most odd thing happens. Well, not odd, but it would certainly be disconcerting, I think. Paul begins to hear from people that don't know him personally that going to Jerusalem was a bad idea. Now, he'd heard it from some friends. He will hear it from some that are closer to him as he gets closer. But these are folks that maybe he's never met. I mean, they had to find the church. This wasn't a well-known place. And yet when people began to minister to him, they started to say, hey, have you really prayed about going to Jerusalem? I don't think that would be a good idea. And so they offer him a, a, a advice, but, but this time, it's not like advice like we read up to this point. This is written in the present active imperative tense. I know that means nothing, except it means that they gave this as a command rather than a suggestion. Don't go. Not you shouldn't go. You shouldn't go. No, don't go. That was their uh, approach. They, they, they offered it as a command. Don't set a foot in Jerusalem. Don't go up to Jerusalem. Now, Paul, put yourself in his shoes, interpreted all of these warnings in all of these places as informational rather than prohibitive. He, he thank you, Lord, for letting me know where I'm going and what I'm heading into. However, it's all right. I, I need to go. I, I really believe that, that in my heart you have called me to go. And so duty called louder to him than warning, and nothing dissuaded Paul from just pressing on right? There are times when the Lord leads you that you just know this is God's leading. It doesn't make sense on paper. No one agrees with you. You don't have a lot of support, but you just know that God has spoken to your heart. That's where Paul's at. And he's kind of the leader of the band here, right? The guys that are with him are there because of his ministry. They are headed for a, a, a goal that he has certainly set and cast before them. But, but nothing has dissuaded him up to this point, except that the closer that he gets to the, to the city, the stronger the warnings become. Even in this out-of-the-way fellowship, hidden in the midst of what was, at least in that time, a fairly large city, not so large today, there was a group that he had hunted down to have fellowship with, and they sort of turned on him. Yeah, by the way, there's a word from the Lord we'd like you to have. 
And they, they, they stood in between him and his desire to go on. It didn't turn Paul away. He had a great love for the Lord. And understand, for the last you know, two decades, he'd been aching to just have a chance at Jerusalem. Let me preach there. Let me talk to the people. I made a lot of, of women widows there. I took a lot of children and took their fathers away. I've ruined homes. I've got to make this right. The guilt that he must have carried over those years of, of persecution. God had forgiven him, certainly. But still, how easy is it to forgive yourself at that point? We read in verse 5 that when, he had, or when we had come to the end of those seven days, we departed and we went our way, and they all accompanied us, their wives and their children. They went out of the city. We kneeled down on the shore, and we prayed. And when we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship, and they, and they returned home. They, they didn't think Paul should go. They loved Paul. They had a respect for his decision. They certainly would have known about Paul over the years. But by the end of the week, it was the Lord's love that bound them together. And I love the picture. I don't know you know, if, if, if that warms your heart. But isn't it great to see moms, dads, and kids going, we're going to walk Paul down to the bus station, you know, or to the docks, or to the train station, or to the airport. And before he leaves, we're going to pray that the Lord would bless him, because we think he's headed for some trouble, but, but we're going to just pray that the Lord would go with him. And, and there's no love like this that he's going to run into in legalistic Jerusalem in a little while. He's not going to have these people on their knees praying for him and loving him and you know, standing by him, holding up his arms. This was about as good as it got. But I love the family approach to church, don't you? Because everyone coming together, common faith, everyone sharing it, here in Tyre, they'll do it again in Ptolemy in a minute that the church there has, has sprung up. And I, I'll tell you what, there's something about family nights that begin with let's go to church together, where your kids come with you and they see your example and you just, you just make that your practice. And I think that the kids will thank you down the road, and, and you'll certainly wish you had if you haven't. So you dads, you know, take your family to church. It's a smart thing to do. The kids will be blessed. But I love the picture of, of all this young little church and all of the guys with Paul, all of them on their knees in the sand praying. They're getting on the boat. Paul's, Paul's a warrior, man. He's scarred up and, and beat down, and he's seen a lot, you know. But what a witness this must have been to the sailors who were getting on board. So, you know, being out in public, being a witness, I always like to see Christians at, at dinner saying grace, you know, leaving a good tip for the waste. Yeah, be a good witness, leave a good tip. Don't leave a lousy tip and then a witness track. Please don't do that. <laughs> Put the witness track on another table then. So goodbye. That's what they said. Goodbye to the, to the church entire they spent one more night in Talamai. Talamai, or Talamai is about 25 miles or so. Uh, it doesn't maybe look like that on the map, but about 25 miles along the coast. Uh, today, if you go to, uh, to Israel and, and then go up to uh, Lebanon, uh, Talamai is modern-day Akko. So A-C-C-O or A-K-K-O, depending on where you're coming from. But there is a modern-day Akko there as well. We, we read in verse 7, when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemy and greeted the brethren, and we stayed there another day. So again, there was this gathering together one day, and yet they wanted to have fellowship one with another. Verse 8, on the next day. So notice again, there's just a daily progression on, on you know, Luke, Luke was keeping notes, I think. On the next day, we who were with Paul, his companions, departed and we came to Caesarea, and we entered into the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven, and we stayed with him. 
Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied, and we stayed many days. Twenty years earlier, Philip had been chosen by a relatively young church in Jerusalem to be one of seven deacons which would become the first organizational structure that the church would take, the first step. The church grew fast. There were needs that sprang up. The, The greatest needs early on was feeding widows, but not just Jewish widows, Hellenist Jewish widows, those who came from other countries with different languages. They were Jews, but they also were Gentile in their practice, if you will. And they came to the apostles, and they said, you know, there's a lot of Jewish Hellenistic widows complaining about not getting their daily care. And the apostles' answer to the church's growth was this. We have to give ourselves to studying God's word, to teaching it, and to praying. So let's appoint some people to take care of that. And the first organizational step in the church was the, the, the development of deacons, diaconos, servants, if you will. And they picked seven men to oversee it. They were smart. They picked seven Hellenistic men, those who understood the, the challenges of being in Jerusalem from a different language, from a different culture, who, who, whose heart would have been involved. And of the seven, Philip was one of those. In fact, you can read in chapter 6, way back in the book of Acts, some of the requirements for, for godliness and holiness. Pick them out amongst yourself, those known amongst the tribe, filled with the Spirit and all. And, and they began to minister in that regard. And it would be Philip that it would eventually you know, be faithful in the little and, and would be moved ahead. After the death of Stephen, where the church kind of ran in every direction, and, and it, the Lord used it to, to scatter the saints out beyond Jerusalem where they had kind of parked, after the, what is called the diaspora, right, the scattering, uh, Philip was led by the Lord to go to Samaria. It was kind of the next little, you know, not only town, but little, uh, you know, uh, county over. And, and he began to preach and to share, and man, the Lord did this great work. There was revival in Samaria. You can read about it in Acts chapter 8. As the revival continued, Jerusalem took note that the apostles were still in Jerusalem. They sent a couple of guys, Peter and John, down to pray for the young church to be baptized in the Holy Spirit because Philip was preaching, people were getting saved, but he wasn't really ministering the baptism of the Holy Spirit to believers. And so John and Peter, they showed up, they led hands on people, they prayed, and, and, and this, this revival continued as they, they then left and went back to Jerusalem. In the midst of that revival, at, chapter 8, I think it's verse 26, but towards the end of the chapter, Philip is called by the Lord to leave the revival to go to the middle of nowhere in the desert. That unfortunately is all that we have time for today, but we'll pick up the balance of Acts chapter 21, verse 1 through 17, the next time we're together. This has been the first half of a two-part study taught by Pastor Jacob Bielan. If you'd like to get the entire message, we do have that available for you. All you need to do to order, simply contact us and ask for study number 3080. That's always helpful for us to know the radio station that you're listening to, so be sure to mention those call letters when you get a hold of us. The same challenges that seek to hinder the church today were common in the Corinthian church back in Paul's day. In his letters to the Corinthians, he addressed such issues as politics, immorality, lawsuits, marriage, worldliness, and spiritual gifts, just to name a few. In working through these timely books, Pastor Jack analyzes Paul's biblical answers to each of these problems in light of today's church. 
And we're offering Pastor Jack studies through both the books of 1st and 2nd Corinthians from our Know the Book series on MP3. They're available in either CD or USB format. So if you'd like to order the 1st and 2nd Corinthians MP3 or to get today's study, simply dial our toll-free phone number at 866-88-GRACE. That's 866-884-7223. You can also order by mail. Just address your letter to Growing Through Grace, P.O. Box 1954, Whittier, California, 90609. And as always, we have this resource and all kinds of other things available online at growingthroughgrace.com. That's growingthroughgrace.com. Now here's Pastor Jack with a special announcement about a trip that he's leading coming up September 23rd through October the 3rd of 2024. Hi, this is Pastor Jack. I want to tell you about an exciting trip that we are planning here at the church for next year with some of our radio listeners as well. We're going to walk in the footsteps of Paul. We'll be going over to Greece to look at such places as Athens and Corinth, over to Turkey to see the ruins of Ephesus, to Patmos where John wrote the book of Revelation, as well as taking a three-day Aegean cruise. So I hope you'll join us. We'll be ending our trip in Rome, looking at the Colosseum and the Forum, the Catacombs and the Mamertine Prison. It's going to be a great time of learning and getting to know each other. We hope you'll join us and so we can get to know you as well. For more information, you can turn to inspiredtravel.com and then look for the Morningstar Footsteps Tour. Or you can call Inspired Travel at 714 area code 9578606. And that does finish up our time for today. We invite you to plan on joining us next time as we'll continue working our way through the book of Acts. Until then, as you daily walk with our Lord Jesus Christ, may you continue to grow in His grace. Growing Through Grace is a listener-supported ministry brought to you by Morningstar Christian Chapel in Whittier, California, a Calvary Chapel outreach.